If you didn't know this, just because I'm on this vein already, my wife's maiden last name was Shepherd. Worked out well, right? And I'll even tell you this, uh, her brother, who was the one who introduced me to her, in high school we were best friends, and we had another friend, and we were working on a class project, and the class project was by Claus Shepard, and this guy's name was Wiseman. So it just kind of worked out well. So we've had a lot of fun with the Christmas name over the years. Um, But... Here's what I want us to understand. The story of Christmas is relevant beyond the Christmas season. And the truth it holds are applicable to us as believers throughout the year. So I'm going to invite you to loosen up just a little bit. You know, I got a nice little Hawaiian scene over here if anybody needs to relax. Uh, I know it's kind of weird singing Christmas uh, in July, Christmas music, Christmas messages. But I really think that if we can get out of our heads and if we can look at a slightly different perspective, God will speak to us. Amen? And by the way, I know everybody in July complains about the heat, but everybody in the winter complains about the snow. How many of you guys saw that we got that torrential downpour? Praise the Lord, by the way, this morning. Yes, we're going to get our sweet corn in Indiana this year, but I know all of y'all would have stayed online and watched this if it was cold enough because that would have been so much snow in the area. And so I'm thankful that you're here in person. To everybody online, thank you for joining us. I know several of you are sick and so we're praying for you, but uh, I would invite you to flip your Bibles to the book of Matthew, and we're going to be in the third chapter. We're going to be in the first six verses. I'm going to invite you to stand as we read God's Word, and I want you to know that perhaps you don't associate this scripture with Christmas, but it very much is a Christmas scripture, And it's unique because of the character, but I want you to listen to the details as we describe this character. His name is John the Baptist, and then we'll get to the main portion. So, let's start reading. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, A voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Blessed be the reading of God's word. You may be seated. There are three progressions in this non-traditional Christmas reading. And I want you to pick up on it early because you'll see it throughout the whole message, okay? So this first one is waiting. Everybody say waiting. Waiting. And then we move to anticipation. Everybody say anticipation. And then finally, at the culmination of anticipation, we get to deliverance. Everybody say deliverance. And this is not unfamiliar for children during Christmas. In fact, I would say it's adults too. 
We all get excited about Christmas, or at least I hope that we do. And by the way, there's only 161 days left before Christmas. Yes. Stacy and I started shopping for Christmas in the Badlands this week, so we got a head start. My grandma's a big fan of Sasquatch, and we got our t-shirt. It's weird. It's okay, though. But in the waiting, as we draw closer on the calendar towards Christmas Day, anticipation begins to build. Suddenly, gifts are appearing before the Christmas tree. Lights are being hung up in our churches and in our communities. Choirs are practicing their special numbers. And anticipation begins to build. And that anticipation is realized on Christmas morning when your mother, your father, maybe a guardian, a loved one, a spouse, deliver that very special Christmas gift into your arms. So we're familiar with these three progressions, waiting, anticipation, deliverance. There's a movie that we like to watch a lot at Christmas, at least in my household. It's called, it's called The Christmas Story. Raise your hand if you've ever seen The Christmas Story. All y'all's hands better be up because it runs 24 hours on TBS, okay? Christmas story. Among other things, it's the story of little Ralphie who wants this Red Ryder BB gun. And he is waiting patiently for Christmas Day to come so that he can unwrap that gift under the tree. His anticipation starts to build as we get closer to that day, but he begins to hear whispers that maybe his mom thinks he'll shoot his eye out. So he doesn't think his parents are going to deliver on this Christmas gift. So he goes to the only guy he thinks can deliver on this wish. Watch the clip. Come on, kid. Oh, ho, ho. Come on. Come on up. Come on up. Oh. Christmas, little boy. Uh, my mind had gone blank. Frantically, I tried to remember what it was I wanted. I was blowing it, blowing it. Come on, kid. How about a nice uh, football? 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 What's a football? <laughs> Without conscious will, my voice squeaked out. Football. Okay, get him out of here. A football? Oh, no! What was I doing? Wake up, stupid! Wake up! No! So not quite the answer that Ralphie was expecting, but spoiler alert, he gets the gun on Christmas Day, and even more of a spoiler alert, 
He shoots his eye out. So there you go. If you haven't seen it, go ahead. TBS didn't even pay me to say this, but it runs 24 hours every Christmas. So remember, waiting, anticipation, deliverance. There was a period of waiting in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, it's one of the most significant pages in your Bible. Most Bibles between the Old Testament and the New Testament will have a blank page. And you ask, why is that so significant? It's because it was a period of silence where God didn't move, God didn't speak, God didn't reveal himself to anybody. And so it's known as the era of silence, and it lasted for centuries. And where we pick up on our reading this morning is right at the tail end of that waiting, of that silence. Anticipation began to grow as the words of the prophet Isaiah were realized in John the Baptist and the message that he was spreading and bringing to the people of Judea. And then, of course, we know the anticipation was ultimately satisfied in the earthly ministry of Jesus and the deliverance for his people from the curse of sin. So during the Christmas season, we acknowledge something called Advent. Everybody say Advent with me. Advent. And the word Advent is a, uh, a term that we use, and it's derived from the Latin word Adventus. Everybody say Adventus. And when you translate Adventus or Advent, it means coming, which is derived from the original text as parousia. Everybody say parousia. And this is significant for us this morning, okay? Because here's the dirty little secret. Advent was not originally associated with Christmas. You and I all know Advent because we gather here, we do our ritual, we have the wreath with the candles, and we light them. Hope, peace, joy, and love. But originally, there was no connection between Advent and Christmas. And so what most scholars believe is that during the 4th and 5th century, it originated in Spain in a place called Gaul. Advent was a season of preparation actually for the baptism of new Christians at the January feast of Epiphany. How many of you have heard of Epiphany? And Epiphany was a celebration of God's incarnation through the visit of the Magi to baby Jesus. It also recognized Jesus' baptism at the Jordan River by John the Baptist, our character this morning. And then it also recognized his first miracle at Cana recorded in John chapter 2. So during this season of Preparation Church, uh, these Spanish and Gaul Christians, in their waiting moments, would spend 40 days in penance and prayer and fasting to prepare for this celebration. And like we said, originally there was no connection between Advent and Christmas. So by the 6th century, Roman Christians had tied Advent to the coming of Christ. Okay, that starts to make a little bit more sense. But what you need to know is that the Roman Christians weren't thinking about the Advent of Jesus coming down in a lowly manger. No, 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 no. The way they thought of Advent was a season of coming, a season of preparation, a season of waiting and anticipation, not for his first arrival that had already transpired, but his second coming, when he comes in his glory and his majesty and in his power. 
It was not until the Middle Ages that the Advent season was explicitly linked to Christ's first coming at Christmas. I find that fascinating. However, in our modern understanding of what Advent is, Christians embrace the groaning that we share in the waiting. We recognize Advent not as a hopeless whimpering over the struggles of the present moment, but as an expectant yearning in anticipation for the divine place Jesus is preparing as he described it to his followers in John chapter 14. So just as the ancient Israelites awaited the coming of the Messiah in the flesh for the deliverance from the Roman Empire, we await the coming of the Messiah in glory to deliver us from the present evils of the world. Remember, waiting, anticipation, deliverance. But if we're honest with ourselves sometimes, we all have been tempted with this question. In the waiting, what is the point of doing anything? You see, we're all susceptible to adopting a lifestyle of apathy, both in the physical and the spiritual. We can, at times, church, become discouraged by what we perceive as a prevailing destruction of our culture and society. How many of you feel like there is just an attack on our culture and society spiritually? And yes, it's true. We got to speak of the elephant in the room. There's a lot of division within our communities. And I'm not just talking about communities of different beliefs. Even within the Christian community, there is a lot of divisiveness. There is a lot of hatred. There are a lot of Christ-like things being said and done among our own. So what's the point? Of doing anything. After all, as we sing in the Christmas season, if God alone can bring peace and goodwill, then what's our point of doing anything? Let God be God and let God handle it is a temptation that we have to think. What difference can our involvement make? And you know, despite our best efforts at times, we can all relate to the truck stuck in the mud, spinning its wheels, not getting anywhere, and occasionally making a great big mess of things. But regardless of those destructive thoughts that the enemy has whispered in our ear, church, we must push forward with what I call our action in the waiting. Everybody say that with me. Action in the waiting. This is what John the Baptist was all about. I love the character of John the Baptist. And the scripture said a voice, he was a voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And he also said this, which is not a popular phrase in our society today. He said, repent. He said, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. And here's my thought on this. In our current reality, we should be echoing the sounds that came from John the Baptist. If we say that we have Christ in our lives and the Holy Spirit dwelling and enabling us and we're silent, I don't think that we're doing it correctly. 
God had commissioned John the Baptist just as God commissions each and every one of us. We should be echoing the sounds that came from John the Baptist. Because you see, John not only saw Jesus in his coming, but in his fullness. What do you mean by that? Later on in verse 12, he refers to Jesus as the one who will place everything true in its proper place before God. So John not only saw the deliverance of his present circumstance, but the final deliverance for all who place their trust in him. And I think we as modern Christians, we get too hung up on this. We get hung up on our present circumstances. And I'm not judging anyone because I'm there six out of the seven days of the week. My wife says amen. But we get hung up on the present circumstances, don't we? But we have to realize there is a final deliverance for those who place their trust in him. Amen? We are not talking about the first advent today, as glorious as that is, but we're talking about our current advent are in the waiting moments. And we build anticipation as the time draws near. Scripture doesn't give us a clear frame of reference, but they do give us some kind of indication through signs that Jesus is coming back soon. And he will deliver us. He will, not just from our present circumstance, but from our eternal condition for those who place their trust in him. Which is why John the Baptist, his words are so important. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Now, I think John gets a bad rap. Uh, I remember in children's church, they would paint this guy just to be a nutcase at times, right? Like he wore this camel jacket. He wore this big leather belt around him. He sounds like a Star Wars character, okay? And, you know... That's not how we dress. And so he looks wild, and then he eats these wild bugs and this honey that he finds just wherever he can, and he gets a bad rap. But if we look at him and his kind from a historical perspective, we can see that he wasn't really all that out of the normal. He was a, a sojourner. Uh, he was a nomad. And nomads in the day were known to dress eclectically for whatever they had to wear. And he had to survive, so he ate what he could. He lived off the land. Let me put it this way. If you were to dress exactly how you are right now, today, in Antarctica, do you think you might get a couple funny looks? Do you think that people would realize that you're maybe a foreigner? Now, some of y'all already look wild, but let's just put you in that context. You look even crazier than normal, right? But this is quite normal for John. He looked different. His message was different. He spoke of a kingdom, and people weren't in that same vernacular. They didn't know what he was talking about. So he appeared wild. So is it possible that in our current spiritual culture that we're living in, that we, Christians, 
may appear wild to those who do not understand the message that we're carrying on behalf of Christ. Could it just be that we look crazy, we look wild? John's message was simple like his desert surroundings. Our message is simple. But it was foreign to those who listened to him in Judea. And as evangelized as we think our country is, church, our simple message can still be foreign to those who are listening to us. In other words, we're not maybe as Christian a country as we think. I deal with students on a weekly basis who don't know basic fundamentals of Scripture. And that may surprise some of you, but that's our current reality. Our message is foreign to people. Our Christianese is not easily understood at times. Let me give you an example. I was not raised in the church. I'm a result of an outreach ministry and very loving people within our local congregation. And I give them and God the credit for where I'm at today. But I was not raised in a Christian environment. And there are things that took me time to understand before it clicked. Let me give you an example. Uh, hymns, we love hymns, we love to sing hymns. I was so weirded out by this one hymn that was singing, let angels' prostates fall. And I'm like, picture that for a second. What? Let angels' prostate, that is horrible. Why are we singing this in a church on a Sunday morning? After a while, somebody let me realize they're saying prostrates, their posture, not their body. And so I just thought that was a weird image, right? I didn't understand the Christianese. You know, we talk a lot about blood at the church, but if you don't understand why we're talking about the blood and the context of the blood, some of our songs sound really gory and scary, like there is a fountain filled with blood. That's like a Halloween special to me. Like, what is that? People who don't understand our message are confused. We can appear foreign. We can appear wild. Still, there are others who hear and understand our message, and they reject it. And we get frustrated as a church when people don't just wholesale buy in to what we're telling them. And as a result, there are some sacrificial relationships that have to be severed. You have to sacrifice some relationships. After all, our main character this morning, John the Baptist, he made a relational sacrifice. Most of our stories won't end this way, but his story ended with his head being cut off, placed on a platter, and served at a birthday party. There are some relational sacrifices that are made to those of us who are calling out into the wilderness, prepare ye the way for the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. But why do we do it? It's because we willingly choose this path. Because Jesus is someone worthy of sacrificing so much for. And it's not our offering that satisfies that. It's our response to the sacrifice that he's already given. It's a reciprocation. It's not an original action on our part. But we willingly choose this straight and narrow and sometimes difficult path because Jesus is worthy 
of us sacrificing so much for. And I need to hear an amen on that. Thank you. So how do we respond with those questions? If God alone can bring peace and goodwill to men, and we're talking about our action in the waiting, remember our progression, waiting, anticipation, deliverance, the church then, in my estimation, needs to respond in the waiting with anticipation, not apathy, by doing the works of the day. Say that with me. The works of the day. Say it again. The works of the day. We're to be beacons of hope. We're to bring light into the darkness. In this present advent that we're in, we need to display action in the waiting. And I'm speaking to a congregation that largely understands this. AFC participates in the works of the light already. We have Ezra's Essentials, the clothing closet, strengthening families, we help dads, the community garden, the tire park, the gathering place, the play center, the Luna Coffee Bar, our prayer ministry, Dare to Care, our children's, youth, young adult, adult, and seniors on the go ministry. We are a church that does the actions in the waiting. And these are lamps shining in dark places. These are the works that glorify God while we're in the waiting, building anticipation, waiting for him in our present advent when that deliverance will come. And so, as a closing story, there's a character that we like to reference at Christmas time. He lived in the Civil War era. His name is Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And I was fascinated by his story. Because remember, even though there's been a span of time between him and us, he was living in the current advent that we're in. He's, he was in the waiting with anticipation for the final deliverance that Jesus offers. But 1863 was a difficult year for Henry. He was a committed Christian. He had done what was right. And in the summer of 1863, his wife was a part of a tragic accident. She died by fire. She was burned alive. So you can imagine the pain that that must have inflicted on him. A little later on, his son was drafted into the military and forced to serve. And while he was serving, he sustained a life-altering injury that left him paralyzed for the rest of his life. And Henry would have to caretake for his battered son, all while grieving the loss of the woman who gave birth to that son. And so you can understand, maybe you can't, the heartache Henry was feeling. And he had the same scripture that we do, and he understood that he was in the second advent, 
But just as we're tempted to ask the question, what's the point of anything, I believe that Henry spent many sleepless nights thinking the same thing. And as a result, he adopted for a short while a lifestyle of apathy. And I could understand that. It was on Christmas morning in 1863, he was in his study, and there was a nearby church ringing bells, celebrating the end of Advent and the coming of Jesus in a manger. And it was that morning, through what I would call the ministry of the bells, that he was able to change his perspective about his pain and his present circumstance. And so I want you to watch this video. It's not the highest quality video. It may be a shameless plug for the Collingsworth family, which, by the way, are coming here next month. Buy your tickets. It helps the youth. But I want you to listen to the words that they sing. But through the context of what Henry had just gone through in the Ministry of the Bells. Watch this clip. I heard the bells on Christmas Day Their old familiar carols play And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, good will to men. I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, good will to men.
You see, while everything was failing, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow heard what the bells of promise meant and what the Advent season is all about. We see so much trouble around us or in our friends, in our family, and it's hard to still hear the voice from the God who says promises in his word that he will deliver us from this waiting season, this Advent season, that there's a coming, there's an anticipation that is building with this coming, and that one day there will be a deliverance, not only from this present circumstance, but from our eternal reality. Listen to these lyrics. Then rang the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, amen? God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The wrong shall fail, and the right will prevail. So the subject and promise of Advent, in closing, I'd invite you guys to stand as we say this. Go ahead and stand. The subject and promise of Advent, whether we're talking about it from the perspective of the Christmas narrative or from the perspective of of the highly anticipated second coming of Christ is that it gives us a chance to reflect and to cling to that truth that the wrong will fail and the right will prevail. Now remember, in our modern Christianity, we like to just hang out right here, just reflect. Reflect, and reflection is a good part of it, but we can't stay there. You understand that? Because if we stay there, then we start to be downtrodden. Feelings of apathy come. No, it's only with action in the waiting, reflection, and then to cling to that truth. And how do we cling to that truth? First and foremost, by his word. And then secondly, by doing the works of the day. Being beacons of hope, lights in the darkness. Even though you feel sometimes that the wrong is prevailing. God has promised in his word that the right will prevail. And in that, you need to be echoing the sounds of John the Baptist. You need to hear it wild in your communities, friends. Now's not the time to retreat. Did you hear me? Now is not the time to retreat. We go boldly forward in our faith. We echo those sounds of John the Baptist. Make straight the paths for the Lord. Repent, because the kingdom of God is nearer than it has ever been. And one day, our current reality won't be true. We'll be worshiping God eternally for a place that he has created, especially for those who place their trust in him. I want you to reflect on this this week. We'll be picking up some of these themes next week. Reflect a little bit more on Matthew 3, 1 through 6. Read it in your devotional time. Let God speak to you, especially during the second advent. And I trust he'll bring us back here safely next weekend with new perspective, with another message. So would you bow your head? God, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for 
such bold and creative characters that you portray for us in Scripture like John the Baptist. God, he may have looked like a foreigner. He may have seemed wild, but God, that is exactly what you are calling us to look like in this modern age. The message of Jesus is simple. But many around us don't understand what we're talking about. God, I pray that you would just use us as vessels filled with obedience and action in the waiting to help build anticipation for this final deliverance that we read about so much in Scripture. God, I pray that we would be vessels of light, that we would be shining beacons in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, at the grocery store, in our coming and in our going, so that people will see this message and that they would receive it. So God, I pray a prayer of blessing over this congregation. God, we do so much. We've just come from an incredible missions trip Would you help us to keep that energy here? Would you help us to have a fresh wind and a fresh fire for the ministries that we're involved in here? May people see us in our outreach ministries, in our prayer ministries, in our visitation ministries, and as we interact with one another. You are truly truly a God worthy to be praised. And we give you all the glory and all the might. And we trust in your name. We pray this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed. We'll see you next week. We have hoped, we have waited. Now a star has appeared. In the night, a baby cries, our God.